Morning. All right, got my secret stash of water here. Going to open it up. We may need it here at some point. Hey, if you're new around here, we're in a series entitled Acts, which is just the name of a book of the Bible, and creative, I know. And we're studying through uh, the book of Acts, and we are in chapter 2 right now. And in chapter 2, we see the the planting or the the founding of the church that Jesus came to plant. And so what we've been doing over the last couple weeks in particular is just talking about what does it look like to be the church that Jesus came to plant. This is stated in our, uh, our values. We have seven values, and the first one is this, that it's not our church, it's God's church. And so we simply just want to be the church that Jesus came to plant. And the first thing we saw is the church that Jesus came to plant uh, is in, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Secondly, the church that Jesus came to plant is empowered by the Holy Spirit, but then moves through spirit-filled people in order uh, to to draw others uh, into the body of Christ. And then on Friday night, we saw that the church that Jesus came to plant proclaims a gospel. And it proclaims a gospel that is not about uh, a philosophy or a thought. Uh, It's not based upon a set of ideals. As an example, our our own nation was founded uh, upon a set of ideals. Ideals. It was founded upon uh, a rule of law written into the Constitution. The founders of our nation knew they couldn't build this movement, this American movement, based on them as people, but on something that would endure. Now, this is the, the truth for every movement, really, that has lasted for all of time, except for one, ours. Because our movement is not based on a set of ideals. Our movement is not based on a philosophy or um, a set of rules. Our movement is based on a person, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The entire thing goes back to Jesus. And so Friday we saw uh, the work that Christ did on the cross when he was forsaken by the, by the Father in that moment and all of the sin and the depravity of humanity fell on Christ in that moment on the cross. And then at the end he cried out, it is finished. And what was finished was the work of our salvation. It meant that no other act of righteousness had to occur in order for any of us to obtain salvation. Jesus did all of the work for us beautiful. And so then Christ was laid in that grave. And so Friday, we we saw really the story and the message of the cross. Today, Sunday, I want to look at just one simple verse. And this verse is found in Acts chapter 2, which is the, the very first ever Christian sermon. And so this morning, if you're not a Christian, uh, if you're just here because, you know, that's what people do on, on Easter, uh, on Sunday mornings, uh, you know, we're glad you're here. I want to uh, explain to you what happened in the very first Christian sermon. I want to take you back all the way to the original message so there's no confusion on what Christianity is all about. Maybe you've gotten caught up in uh, Christianity, I think it's about this, or I think it's about that, or, uh, or whatever. Nope, we're going to look at what it was all about, because in the opening sermon, Peter lays out the blueprint for what Christianity is, namely that it is a, a, a set of, uh, it, is, it is the following of a risen king. That's what it is. It's the following of a risen king. And in his opening sermon, Peter gives one verse about the life of Jesus, and it was an incredible life. And then he gives one verse about the death of Jesus, 
And it was a brutal death and a death that accomplished a lot. But then he gives nine verses about the resurrection of Jesus. And this morning, I want to look at just the the first one, the first verse about the resurrection. So we got just one verse here. I am going to hop over to Romans real quick for a little bit, uh, but we just got one verse. And here it is. It's Acts 2.24, and it says this, that God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What a verse. And here, in Acts chapter 2, verse 24, Peter, in the opening Christian sermon, lays out the principle, or I'll call it this morning, the law of resurrection. And he lays out how in the moment that God raised Christ from the dead, that everything changed. And because everything changed, it means that you and I can change. Because everything changed, it means that, um, that, that you and I now uh, can experience what we call around here, redemption. Moving from death to life. Moving from spiritually asleep to spiritually awake. And so this morning, uh, I want to uh, walk through this verse. And remember, this verse was preached to a crowd of thousands, thousands. Uh, They had gathered, and it was on what we traditionally know as the day of Pentecost, or the planting of the opening church. And the thousands in the crowd were were Jewish people um, uh, that were gathered from all around the world in Jerusalem because they were celebrating uh, one of their holidays. And so uh, Peter took the occasion after the Holy Spirit had fallen down on the church, and the thousands were asking two questions. One, question was, what does all of this mean? Maybe you're asking that question this morning. What does all of this mean? What is all this Christianity stuff about? And the second question that Peter was responding to was this one. Are you all drunk? Maybe some of you are asking that question this morning. Like I saw some of you doing things with your hands during music. Are you drunk? I was hopping up and down. I'm not drunk. What does it all mean? Are y'all just crazy? And in response to those questions, Peter preaches this sermon. And after he explains the death of Christ that all humanity, because of our sin, is responsible for, he goes in to the resurrection. First, he says this. This is a pretty simple sermon. He says, first, God raised him up. There is no question how it was that Jesus rose from the grave. God did it. And this is a picture of our salvation. It reminds us that God can do for us what we are incapable of doing ourselves. You cannot save yourself. No amount of good works, no amount of the family that you grew up in, no amount of self-righteousness will ever be enough to satisfy God. But the good news is you don't have to do anything. God does it for you. God raised him up. It is the reminder that God can initiate and do in our hearts what we cannot do on our own. Next, what it tells us is this, that there was an infinite grace in God raising him up. See, in the previous verse, we see this thing that appears to be um, competing with itself. Uh, In one hand, in the previous verse to this, we see that it was by the plan and the foreknowledge of God that Christ went to the cross. 
So uh, how did Jesus rise from the grave? God raised him up. But how did Jesus find himself on the cross? The Father sent him there. It was by his plan through all of time. And so, uh, and now it happened through the hands of lawless men, right? Humans were the ones who actually drove the spikes in. They're the ones who betrayed them. They're the ones who lied. But God was working something underneath all the time. And when we see the fact that God rose him up, what we're seeing is that God knows both the, the death and the resurrection. God knows both the beginning and the end. God had an infinite grace to raise him up. Why? Because he was risen. Why? So that you and I might experience new life. You and I might experience our redemption. And it's an infinite grace that God raised him up because we were the one who made it so we had to go to the cross in the first place. And even though we were the ones who made, made it so that he had to go to the cross in the first place, he raised him up. Grace pouring out. The third thing it teaches us here is what I just previously alluded to, and that is this, that God knows both the beginning and the ends of things. He knew the moment of death on the cross for his son, but he also knew the pending moment of resurrection. And this is historical, that God knew both the death and the resurrection, and it reminds us that even when Satan had thought he had won the victory, he hadn't. Why? Because God knew both the death and the resurrection. Satan thought he won. God raised him up. Satan used the, the mob to destroy Christ, but God raised him up to redeem the very mob that put him on that cross. And this is not just historical. This is deeply personal. Why? Because there are going to be times in our lives where Satan is going to make it think like he won. But God raised Jesus up, and God can rise us up too. See, there are going to be times when, when you're going to think in your own life, like, uh, I, I can't live this Christian life perfectly. I could never earn it. Uh, this sin has a stranglehold over me. But when we see that God raised him up, it is the proof to us that you too can move past those moments. It gets even better. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 6. Let me just read this passage to you so that I can um, refer back to it a few moments, uh, a few times during our time this morning. In Romans chapter 6, so this is a letter written uh, about 40 years or so after uh, this opening sermon. Paul is reflecting back on all that he has learned about the power of resurrection, and this is what he says. He says, we were buried therefore with Christ by baptism into death. In order that, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 4. Saying just as Christ died, we die, right? Or our old self, our sinful nature dies. But just as Christ was risen, we too rise. And so when there are moments in our lives when we think Satan won, nope, nope, you can rise. When you go through a tough time or a tough season and you're wondering why is it that, that this ending or uh, why is it that this trial, why is it that this, why has this thing occurred? And you think there's no meaning and there's no purpose in it. God sees both the beginning and the end of it. 
He knows. And maybe one of the tricks of the enemy, particularly for those of us who are new or considering Christianity, is we begin to think, I could never earn this. I could never be a good Christian. I could never uh, like obey like other people obey. And here's the good news. When God raises you up, something inside of you, your heart, your very heart will change. And all of the things right now that you look in and say, that I, I could never be, I could never do, I could never whatever, when God raises you up, all of those I never coulds will disappear. Why? Because you walk now in the newness of life. And so this opening line Peter is explaining is that God raised him up. And so uh, um, person, listener, you, we need to understand that God poured out his grace in that moment that he will now do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And then he transitions this into his next point. He says not only did God raise him up, but also when he raised him up, something happened. There was like a shift in the laws of nature. And and here's the shift. He said, he loosed the pangs of death. He loosed the pangs of death. Now, the terminology that is being used here is intentionally reminiscent of uh, of childbirth. Now, my wife, Lindsay, uh, she's about to have her, her, our (laughs) third child. Um, And so I will soon be a father of three in a couple of months. And so I know all about childbirth, right? Childbearing, right? And the pain associated with it. Right? Yeah. I'm going to stop talking before I do get hurt. Okay. And, and my wife, she has like the pain tolerance of a Bond villain. Okay? Like, she's, she's tough. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I've, I've obviously watched this twice happen. And, uh, and, and, and obviously we know this, that the, the idea here is that the, there's, there's the pain, there's an incredible pain. Uh, and again, this, this language in here that is being used in the text, it's to bring the listener to this idea of childbirth. And it's saying this, so that the pain produces something pleasant, something beautiful, something extraordinary, new life, Right? New life. See, the, the phrase here doesn't mean that, that death brings no pain. It means that now, because Christ rose from the dead, that even death can produce something beautiful. That Jesus, because of his death and his resurrection, he loosed the pangs of death. See, de- death, prior to this moment, death only begat more death. Death only produced more pain. Uh, Prior to this moment, the world lived under the law of death. And so death led to death or death led to pain. And it was just pain after pain after pain. But in the moment that Jesus rose from the grave, the law of resurrection then took over. And now even death, the the enemy's greatest tactic, right? His like his final blow, death, even that lost its sting. Because Christ loosed the pains of death. Now, even death. And if it is true of that, then it is also true of even pain, even tribulation, even trial. Now, isn't pointless, isn't meaningless. It too can produce something beautiful. Why? Because now we live... Paul says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law anymore. You are under grace. Or as I'm calling it today, grace is like this new law, this law of resurrection. 
Now even pain can produce something beautiful. Christ's resurrection takes the scariest thing that life can bring at us, death, and can even redeem that. And for some of you this morning, you've, you've never experienced new life. You've never experienced your redemption from eternal death because it only comes through Christ. It doesn't come through anything else. It doesn't come through casual observance. It doesn't come through moral behavior. It comes through one thing, healing King Jesus. Being born again, born anew. Repentance of sin and acclamation, proclamation of Christ. And this is true of our spiritual lives, and it is true of uh, moving from death to life spiritually. But this actually, uh, this, this principle, this law of resurrection actually plays itself out for the believer. Uh, and I got to be honest with you this morning, this principle only applies to those of us who have stepped into Christ. This law of resurrection that now kind of like hangs over the believer's life. And it's a, it's a beautiful law uh, because we see it all throughout the scriptures. Uh, we see all throughout the scriptures where, where uh, Satan, the enemy, where he wants to use death to produce more pain, where he wants to use shortcoming to produce more pain, where he wants to use trial to produce more pain. But every time the enemy tried to do that, we see these incredible stories all throughout the scripture pointing to a future resurrection that is showing us that even when the enemy tries that thing, God brings something out of it. And then this then becomes true for us as believers. It helps us understand that famous verse that says, God works all things out together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. That even now, because, because Christ rose, loosing the pangs of death, that beauty can come out of the ashes. Beauty can come out of it. See, uh, let me give you a couple of examples. In the Old Testament, Satan saw a barren woman her name was Sarai. God saw the mother of nations. Satan saw Joseph. He was beaten. He was sold into slavery. He was rotting away in prison. God saw a future ruler. Satan saw Moses abandoned in the wilderness. God saw a redeemer. Satan saw King David disgraced by his sin. God saw a repentant king whose line would carry Christ. Over and over, we see this principle that the law of resurrection now reverses the attack of the enemy. The law of resurrection teaches us that um, we don't say something is over or done until God does. And see, here's what happens. Maybe some of you, you've experienced this and it has brought you great pain. That in the time between the death and the resurrection, the enemy has attacked you and made you believe in your thought life. And sometimes the enemy uses religious people to do this, um, that, that, that there will be no resurrection for you. There will be nothing on it. I remember I walked through a, a particularly tough season at one point in time in my life, and somebody sent an email that in essence said this, pack your bags and run away. Pack your bags and run away. And you know what that person was doing in that moment? They were saying, I am going to define you by the moment between death and resurrection. Let me bring it to our current point right here. They're saying, I'm going to define you by Saturday between Friday and Sunday. Do not let someone define you by your Saturday. Sunday will come. 
It will come for the Christian. And what happens is this. People begin to do this all over the place. They Saturday all over you. Don't let someone Saturday on you. They'll tell you. Oh, that kid, he's too far gone. He's never coming back. Sunday's coming. Oh, that marriage can never be fixed. It's too gone. Sunday can come. There's story after story. Yes, Friday happened. Yes, there was a death. Yes, there was a Saturday and a waiting principle. But the law of resurrection now states for the believer that resurrection is an absolute definitive fact for the believer. It will come. And this gives us hope. See, that's why this is not just an idea. No, 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 no. This is a, this is a, a foundation of how we live now. See, the Christian now lives knowing that if I have a, a, a death like Christ, then there will be a resurrection like Christ. If I've stepped in, then resurrection will come. And maybe you say, but what if I don't see it? Well, let me give you two ideas. One, sometimes we don't recognize the resurrection. I mean, isn't most of the story of Christ's immediate resurrection, everybody going, I don't understand what I'm seeing? Sometimes we don't see it. We don't understand it. God did resurrect something, but we haven't yet had the eyes to see that that was the resurrection, just like it happened with Christ. And let me say this. So sometimes, and even in this story, we see this, that, that uh, sometimes there are, I'll call them micro-resurrections that are pointing us to a final culmination, that one day God will come in and he will make all wrong things right. This is the final resurrection. Right? When Christ returns for his church. And this principle gives us hope as we await. Right? Oh, but we celebrate every time. Every time. And it gives us perseverance in the midst of our Saturdays to pray for, to long for, and to desire the Sunday coming in our life. Some of us, we've walked in it. You walk through your long Saturdays. Sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years. Addictions hurts, pains, seasons of struggle. And then by the grace of God, you saw how resurrection came out of it. And you're sitting here this morning and you can nod your head because you saw the law of resurrection work in your life. And it was possible because he rose him from the dead and he loosed the pangs of death. This is all good news. And he's not even done yet. He has one more line Peter does in his opening sermon. He said, God raised them up, pouring grace out, doing something for us that we can't do for ourselves. The law of resurrection is now true for you because the pangs of death have been loosed. But then thirdly, he goes on to say, because it was not possible. It was not possible for him to be held by it. What a line. It wasn't possible, he said. To quote a famous movie, inconceivable. Only those over 35 laughed. So it's not possible. Not unlikely. Not anything else other than it, it, it just wasn't possible. I know I'm belaboring this point, but I need you to hit this. Death had held everyone else. 
other than those few rare moments where God did what he did here previously. But he goes on, he says this, it's not, it's not possible. Why? Or how is it that it's not possible? Let me give you a couple reasons why it wasn't possible for death to hold him down. Number one, it wasn't possible for death to hold him down because of the power of God. See, the giver of life and the author of life cannot be held by death. The one who speaks life into existence by the sound of his own voice cannot be silenced by the voice of the enemy. The one whose very thought sustains our very breath cannot have his breath snuffed out by the domain of darkness. The one who gave life to the animals, the fish of the seas, the birds of the air, the one who gave life to dead Lazarus by commanding him to come out of the grave cannot be held by that same grave. He breathes life, he does, into dead things. He births new movements out of old defeats, and his divine power triumphs over all of evil's attempts to destroy. By the power of God, it is not possible for him to be held by death. But not only is it not possible because of the power of God, secondly, it is not possible because of the promises of God. See, all of God's promises are yes and amen. And in Genesis chapter 3, the opening section of the Bible, sin breaks into the world and God makes a promise that one day a descendant of Eve will crush the serpent's head. And the crushing didn't occur when he died on the cross. The crushing occurred when he rose victoriously out of the grave. And that was a promise. And the promises of God cannot be stopped. He made a promise to Abraham that one day the descendants of the world would be blessed through him. And that promise came true the moment he walked out of the grave. The promises of God are always yes and amen. And if they were true in here, then they are true for you and I. Promises of God over your life cannot be stopped because of the resurrection. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's a promise. You can triumph over sin. That's a promise. And the promises of God cannot be stopped. But this also leads us to the third one, and that is the purposes of God. See, God's purpose can't be thwarted by the enemy. The whole reason for the promise of his power was to deliver the purpose of his redemption, your salvation and mine. And death could not hold him down because God had promised a purpose of salvation. So death couldn't hold him. And sometimes we, we miss all of this. We miss that, that, that God has a purpose and his purpose, his overarching purpose, right? To bring himself glory is the salvation of humanity. Oh, and death could not hold him down because he, he purposed your redemption. And see, the entire, uh, one time, uh, not one time, Jesus, when he rose from the grave, he, he was uh, uh, walking on a road one day. And as he was walking on this road, there were these two individuals that were walking uh, alongside him. And they didn't understand the resurrection, like I just explained later. This is in Luke chapter 24. And so they're just having this casual conversation with the risen Jesus, right? And they're, they're walking along in this casual conversation with risen Jesus, and they're explaining how it is um, that they're so sad because their hope in Jesus had died in the grave. And obviously the irony is thick. 
because he's standing right next to him. And uh, multiple times, Jesus brings up the, 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 uh, the promises of God through this phrase, uh, isn't it necessary or didn't it have to happen like this? And when he's using that phrase, what he's saying is this, that, that it had to be like this. And just because it's not like you thought doesn't mean it's not happening. And then there's this um, passage where it says that Jesus then began to explain to these individuals uh, how everything throughout the entire Old Testament was all pointing to the power of resurrection. When everything would change. When the bondage of sin would be uh, released over individual human beings because by grace they would step into newness of life. And what he was doing is he was trying to help all of us understand how we read the first half of the Bible. Because what he was saying is this, uh, there were all of these attempts by the enemy to hold God's purpose down. There was an attempt Right, when the Israelites were fleeing and they're fleeing and there's a, there's a sea out in front of them and the sea is uh, stopping them from the promise of their freedom. Then there was another moment when the Israelites were now um, uh, trying to take over the land uh, and there was this fortified city, this stronghold, and there was walls surrounding it and the walls were trying to, to stop them from securing their inheritance. And then there was another story. There was a, a story where there was uh, this strong guy named Samson who was supposed to operate in all of his strength. Uh, and so what the, and the enemy did is used his, uh, his girlfriend, which is a whole sermon on dating later, but used his, his girlfriend to try to strap the power or take the power away from him by strapping him down. Therefore, then being able to go and to destroy the, the Jewish people and stopping the line of Christ. Then there's another story about this guy named uh, uh, Goliath who uh, becomes a giant who is standing between God's people and the life that they're supposed to live. The identity that they're supposed to have. And what Jesus was doing on that little walk is he was pointing to all of them and he was saying to them, don't you all see that all of those stories, they were pointing to a resurrection. They were pointing to the resurrection story because all of those stories were pointing to another time where the enemy would try a different tactic and what his tactic would be was to kill the Redeemer, not just strap him down, not just have an ocean, not just have some walls, not just have a 10-foot giant, but actually kill the messenger of God and throw him in a grave and put a stone in front of it. And Jesus is having that conversation and he's looking at him and he's explaining it to him and it says their hearts started to burn within them because they finally understood. And what did they finally understand? That when Moses got up to the ocean, the waters parted. When Joshua got up to the walls, they came down. When Samson prayed, he snapped the bands. When David fought, he killed Goliath. And when God said so, the grave rolled away and Jesus walked out of it. Why? 
because God's plan of redemption will not be stopped. And I don't know why you're here this morning. And I don't know what it took to get you here. But God's plan of redemption will not be stopped. And so maybe you should just stop fighting. Maybe you should just let it break in. See, at the end of Peter's sermon, everyone goes, okay, so then what do we do? And Peter says, repent and believe it's all true. Turn from your sin and believe it's all true and walk in this new power of resurrection. So I want to invite you into that this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, as we close our eyes in this moment, we think of the cross and how you paid for our sins. We think of the resurrection, how you grant us the newness of life. Father, for those in here who are still or already believers in Christ, would you help us to walk in the power of resurrection law, granting us hope in every circumstance? And now for those of you in here today, you've never struggled with the question, what does this all mean? Or maybe you have, but you've never reached the final answer. What does it all mean? It means that God has a plan of redemption for your life. God raised them up. You don't have to earn it. God's going to grant grace. What do you do? Repent and believe. In your heart, you could pray something like this. God, I, I see it now. I get what it all means. Thank you for the payment of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross. I believe it. And I want to walk now in the newness of life that Christ promises. My friend, if you prayed to that prayer, if in your heart you know that's what you got to do right now, this is the purpose of God's redemption. Through everything the world has thrown for 2,000 years, here you are right now, and God's purpose of redemption is a laser pointed right on your heart. Father, I pray that you would help us walk now in the newness of life that your resurrection granted. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.